Part two of Book Eleven of Laws by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Part two of Book Eleven. Athenian Stranger greater differences than there ought to be sometimes arise between fathers and sons on the part either of fathers who will be of opinion that the legislator should enact that they may if they wish lawfully renounce their son by the proclamation of a herald in the face of the world or of sons who will be of opinion that they should be allowed to indict their fathers on the charge of imbecility when they are degraded by disease or old age these things only happen as a matter of fact where the natures of men are very bad for where only half is bad as for example if the father be not bad but the son is bad or conversely there is no bad effect caused by this amount of hatred in another state a son disowned by his father would not of necessity cease to be a citizen but in our state of which these are to be the laws the disinherited must necessarily emigrate into another country for no addition can be made even of a single family to the five thousand forty households and therefore he who deserves to suffer these things must be renounced not only by his father who is a single person but by the whole family and what is done in these cases must be regulated by some such law as the following he who in the sad disorder of his soul has a mind justly or unjustly to expel from his family a son whom he has begotten and brought up shall not lightly or at once execute his purpose but first of all he shall collect together his own kinsmen extending to cousins and in like manner his son's kinsmen by the mother's side and in their presence he shall accuse his son setting forth that he deserves at the hands of them all to be dismissed from the family and the son shall be allowed to address them in a similar manner and show that he does not deserve to suffer any of these things and if the father persuades them and obtains the suffrages of more than half of his kindred exclusive of the father and mother and the offender himself i say if he obtain more than half the suffrages of all the other grown-up members of the family of both sexes the father shall be permitted to put away his son but not otherwise and if any other citizen is willing to adopt the son who is put away no law shall hinder him for the characters of young men are subject to many changes in the course of their lives and if he has been put away and in a period of ten years no one is willing to adopt him let those who have the care of the superabundant population that are sent out into colonies see to him in order that he may duly share in the colony and if disease or age or harshness of temper or all these together make a man to be more out of his mind than the rest of the world are but this is not observable except to those who live with him and he 
being master of his property is the ruin of the house and his son doubts and hesitates about indicting his father for insanity let the law in that case provide that he shall first of all go to the eldest guardians of the law and tell them of his father's misfortune and they shall duly look into the matter and take counsel as to whether he shall indict him or not and if they advise him to proceed they shall be both his witnesses and his advocates and if the father is cast he shall henceforth be incapable of ordering the least particular of his life let him be as a child dwelling in the house for the remainder of his days and if a man and his wife have an unfortunate incompatibility of temper ten of the guardians of the law who are impartial and ten of the women who regulate marriages shall look to the matter and if they are able to reconcile them they shall be formally reconciled but if their souls are too much tossed with passion they shall endeavour to find other partners now they are not likely to have very gentle tempers and therefore we must endeavour to associate with them deeper and softer natures those who have no children or but a few at the time of their separation should choose their new partners with a view to the procreation of children but those who have a sufficient number of children should separate and form new connections in order that one of the two partners may be able to take care of the other in old age if a woman dies leaving children male or female the law will advise rather than compel the husband to bring up the children which they have and not introduce into the house a stepmother but if he have no children then he shall be compelled to marry until he have begotten a sufficient number of sons to his family and to the state and if a man die leaving a sufficient number of children the mother of his children shall remain with them and bring them up but if she appears to be too young to live virtuously without a husband let her relations communicate with the women who superintend marriage and do what they both think for the best in these matters if there is a lack of children let them make the choice with a view to children two children one of either sex shall be deemed sufficient in the eye of the law when a child is admitted to be the offspring of certain parents and is acknowledged by them but there is need of a decision as to which parent the child is to follow in case a female slave have intercourse with a male slave or with a free man or freed man the offspring shall always belong to the master of the female slave again if a free woman have intercourse with a male slave the offspring shall belong to the master of the slave but if a child be born either of a slave by her master or of his mistress by a slave and this be proven the offspring of the woman and its father shall be sent away by the women into another country and the guardians of the law shall send away the offspring of the man and the mother neither god nor a man who has understanding will ever advise any one to neglect his parents 
to a discourse concerning the honour and dishonour of parents, a prelude such as the following about the service of the gods will be a suitable introduction. There are ancient customs about the gods which are universal, and they are of two kinds. Some of the gods we see with our eyes and honour them. Of others we honour the images, raising statues of them which we adore, and, though they be lifeless, yet we imagine that the living gods have a good will and gratitude to us on this account. Now, if a man has a father or mother, or their father or mother treasured up in his house, stricken in years, let him consider that no statue can be more potent to grant his requests than they are who are sitting at his hearth, if only he knows how to show true service to them. Clinius, and what do you call the true mode of service? Athenian stranger, I will tell you, O oh my friend, for such things are worth listening to. Clinius, proceed. Athenian stranger, Oedipus, as tradition says, when dishonoured by his sons, invoked on them the fulfilment of those curses from the god, which every one declares to have been heard and ratified by the gods. And Amintor, in his wrath, invoked curses on his son Phoenix, and Theseus upon Hippolytus, and innumerable others have also called down wrath upon their children, which is a plain proof that the gods listen to the imprecations of parents against their children. For the curses of a parent are, as they ought to be, mighty against his children, as no others are. And shall we suppose that the prayers of a father or mother who is specially dishonoured by his or her children are heard by the gods in accordance with nature, and that if a man is honoured by them, and in the gladness of his heart earnestly entreats the gods in his prayers to do them good, he is not equally heard, and that they do not minister to his request? If not, they would be very unjust ministers of good, and that we affirm to be contrary to their nature. Cleinias, certainly. Athenian stranger, may we not think, as I was saying just now, that we can possess no image which is more honoured by the gods than that of a father or grandfather, or of a mother stricken in years, whom, when a man honours, the heart of the god rejoices, and he is ready to answer their prayers. And, truly, the figure of an ancestor is a wonderful thing, far higher than that of a lifeless image, for when they are honoured by us, they join in our prayers, and when they are dishonoured, they utter imprecations against us. But lifeless objects do neither. And therefore, if a man makes a right use of his father and grandfather and other aged relations, he will have the best of all images which can procure him the favour of the gods. Cleinias, that is excellent. Athenian stranger, Every man of understanding fears and respects the prayers of his parents, knowing well that many times and to many persons they have been accomplished. Now, 
these things being thus ordered by nature good men think that they are the gainers by having aged parents living to the end of their life or if they depart early they are deeply lamented by them and to the bad they are very terrible wherefore let every man honour with every sort of lawful honour his own parents agreeably to what has now been said but if this prelude be an unmeaning sound in the ears of any one let the law follow which may be rightly imposed in these terms if any one in this city be not sufficiently careful of his parents and do not regard and gratify in every respect their wishes more than those of his sons and of his other offspring or of himself let him who experiences this sort of treatment either come himself or send some one to inform the three eldest guardians of the law and three of the women who have the care of marriages and let them look to the matter and punish the evil-doers with stripes and imprisonment until they are thirty years of age that is to say if they be men or if they be women let them undergo the same punishment up to forty years of age but if when they are still more advanced in years they continue the same neglect of their parents and do them any hurt let them be brought before a court in which every single one of the eldest citizens shall be the judges and if the offender be convicted let the court determine what he ought to pay or suffer and any penalty may be imposed on him which a man can do or suffer if the person who has been wronged is unable to inform the archons let any free man who hears of his case inform and if he do not he shall be deemed base and shall be liable to pay damages on the requisition of any one who likes and if a slave informs he shall be free and if he be the slave of the injurer or injured party he shall be enfranchised by the magistrates or if he belong to any other citizen the public shall pay a price on his behalf to the owner and let the archons take heed that no one wrongs him out of revenge and because he has given information as to cases in which one injures another by poisons where they are fatal we have already spoken of them but about other cases in which a person intentionally and of malice harms another with meats or drinks or ointments nothing has as yet been determined for there are two kinds of poisons used among men which cannot clearly be distinguished there is one kind of poison which injures bodies by the use of bodies according to nature and of this we have spoken but there is another kind which injures by sorceries and incantations and magic bonds as they are termed and induces one class of men to injure others as far as they can and persuades others that they above all persons are liable to be injured by the powers of the magician now it is not easy to know the origin of all these things nor if a man do know can he readily persuade others of his belief 
and when men are disturbed at the sight of waxen images fixed either at the doors or in a place where three ways meet or in the sepulchres of parents there is no use in trying to persuade them that they should despise all such things because they have no certain knowledge about them but we must have a law in two parts concerning poisoning in whichever of the two ways the attempt is made and we must entreat and exhort and advise men not to have recourse to such practices by which they scare the multitude out of their wits as if they were children compelling the legislator and the judge to heal the fears which the sorcerer arouses and to tell them in the first place that he who attempts to poison or enchant others knows not what he is doing either as regards the body unless he have a knowledge of medicine or as regards his enchantments unless he happens to be a diviner or a soothsayer let the law then run as follows about poisoning or witchcraft he who employs poison to do any injury not fatal to a man himself or to his servants or any injury whether fatal or not to his cattle or his bees if he be a physician and be convicted of poisoning shall be punished with death or if he be a private person the court shall determine what he is to pay or suffer but he who seems to be the sort of man who injures others by magic knots or enchantments or incantations or any of the like practices if he be a prophet or diviner let him die and if not being a prophet he be convicted of witchcraft as in the previous case let the court fix what he ought to pay or suffer when a man does another any injury by theft or violence for the greater injury let him pay a greater penalty to the injured man and a less penalty for the smaller injury but in all cases whatever the injury be as much as will compensate the loss and besides the compensation of the wrong let a man pay a further penalty for the chastisement of his offence he who has done the wrong through another's folly and at his instigation yielding to useful impulsiveness or the like shall pay a lighter penalty but he who has injured another through his own folly when overcome by pleasure or pain in cowardice and fear or lust or envy or implacable anger shall endure a heavier punishment not that he is punished because he did wrong for that which is done can never be undone but in order that in future times he and those who see him corrected may utterly hate injustice or at any rate abate much of their evil doing having an eye to all these things the law like a good archer should aim at the right measure of punishment and in all cases at the deserved punishment in the accomplishment of this the judge shall be a fellow-worker with the legislator whenever the law leaves to him to determine what the offender shall suffer or pay and he like a painter shall fill up the outline with suitable details this is what we must do megalos and cleinias in the best and fairest manner that we can 
saying what the punishments are to be of all actions of theft and violence and giving laws of such a kind as the gods and sons of gods would have us give if a man be mad he shall not be at large in the city but his relations shall keep him at home in any way which they can or if not let them pay a penalty he who is of the highest class shall pay a penalty of one hundred drachmas whether he be a slave or a free man whom he neglects and he of the second class shall pay four-fifths of a mina and he of the third class three-fifths and he of the fourth class two-fifths now there are many sorts of madness some arising out of disease which we have already described and there are other kinds which originate in an evil and passionate temperament and are increased by education out of a slight quarrel this class of madmen will often raise a storm of abuse against one another and nothing of that sort ought to be allowed to exist in a well-ordered state let this then be the law about abuse which shall relate to all cases no one shall speak evil of another and when a man disputes with another he shall teach and learn of the disputant and the company but he shall abstain from evil speaking for out of the imprecations which men utter against one another and the feminine habit of casting aspersions on one another and using foul names beginning in words light as air they proceed to deeds and the greatest enmities and hatreds spring up for the speaker gratifies his anger which is an ungracious element of his nature and nursing up his wrath by the entertainment of evil thoughts and exacerbating that part of his soul which was formerly civilized by education he lives in a state of wild beast fury and moroseness and pays a bitter penalty for his anger and in such cases almost all men have a way of saying something ridiculous about their opponent and there is no man who is in the habit of laughing at another who does not miss virtue and earnestness altogether or lose the better half of greatness wherefore let no one say anything of that sort at the temple or at the public sacrifices or at the games or in the agora or in a court of justice or in any public assembly and let him who has the charge of such matters chastise an offender and he shall be blameless or if he fail he shall not claim the prize of virtue for he is one who heeds not the laws and does not do what the legislator commands and if in any other place any one indulges in these sort of revilings whether he have begun the quarrel or is only retaliating let any elder who is present support the law and control with blows those who give way to passion which is another great evil and if he fail let him be liable to pay the appointed penalty and we say further 
that he who is engaged in the practice of reviling cannot revile without attempting to say what is ludicrous and this is the use of ridicule employed in a moment of anger which we censure again do we admit into our state the comic writers who are so fond of making mankind ridiculous if they attempt in a good-natured manner to turn the laugh against our citizens or do we draw the distinction of jest and earnest and allow a man to make use of ridicule in jest and without anger about anything or person but as we were saying not if he be angry and have a set purpose we forbid earnest that is unalterably fixed but we have still to say who are to be sanctioned or not to be sanctioned by the law in the employment of innocent humour a comic poet or maker of iambic or satirical lyric verse shall not be permitted to ridicule any of the citizens either by word or image either in anger or without anger and if any one is disobedient the judges shall either at once expel him from the place or he shall pay a fine of three mina which shall be dedicated to the god who presides over the contests those only who have already received permission shall be allowed to write verses at one another without anger and in jest but in anger and in serious earnest they shall not be allowed the decision of this matter shall be left to the superintendent of the general education of the young and whatever he may license the writer shall be allowed to produce and whatever he rejects let neither the poet himself exhibit nor ever teach any other slave or free man under the penalty of being dishonoured and held disobedient to the laws now he is not to be pitied who is only hungry or who suffers anything of that sort but he who is temperate or has other virtues and at the same time suffers from misfortune he is to be pitied and it would be an extraordinary thing if such a one whether slave or free man were utterly forsaken and fell into the extremes of poverty in any tolerably well-ordered city or government wherefore the legislator may safely make a law applicable to such cases in the following terms let there be no beggars in our state and if anybody begs seeking to collect the means of life by perpetual prayers let the wardens of the agora turn him out of the agora and the wardens of the city out of the city and the wardens of the country send him out of any other part of the country over the border that so the country may be cleared of this sort of animal if a slave of either sex injure anything which is not his or her own through inexperience or some improper practice and the injured person be not in part to blame the master of the slave who has done the harm shall either make full satisfaction or give up the person who has done the injury but if the master argue 
that the charge has arisen by collusion between the injured party and the injurer with a view of depriving him of the slave let him sue him who says that he has been injured for malpractices and if he convict let him receive double the value which the court fixes as the price of the slave and if he lose his suit let him make amends for the injury and give up the slave and if an animal whether horse or dog or any other beast injure a neighbour the owner shall in like manner pay for the injury if any man voluntarily refuses to be a witness he who wants him shall summon him and he who is summoned shall come to the trial and if he knows and is willing to bear witness let him bear witness but if he says he does not know let him swear by the three divinities zeus and apollo and themis that he does not know and have done with the cause and he who is summoned to give witness and does not answer to his summoner shall be liable for the harm which ensues according to law and if any one summons as witness one who is a judge let him give his witness but he shall not afterwards vote in the cause a free woman may give her witness and plead if she be more than forty years of age and may bring an action if she have no husband but if her husband be alive she shall only be allowed to bear witness a slave of either sex and a child shall be allowed to give evidence and to plead but they must produce sufficient sureties that they will certainly remain until the trial if they are charged with false witness and either of the parties in the cause may bring an accusation of false witness against them touching their evidence in whole or in part if he asserts that such evidence has been given previous to the final decision of the cause the magistrates shall preserve the accusations of false witness and have them kept under the seal of both parties and produce them on the day when the trial for false witness takes place if a man be twice convicted of false witness he shall not be required and if thrice he shall not be allowed to bear witness and if he dare to witness after he have been convicted three times let any one who pleases inform against him to the magistrates and let the magistrate hand him over to the court and if he be convicted he shall be punished with death and in any case in which the evidence is found to be false and yet to have given the victory to him who wins the suit and more than half the witnesses are condemned the decision which was gained by these means shall be rescinded and there shall be a discussion and a decision as to whether the suit was determined by that false evidence or not and in whichever way the decision may be given the previous suit shall be determined accordingly there are many noble things in human life but to most of them attach evils which corrupt and spoil them has not justice been the civilizer of humanity and is not that noble and must not the profession of an advocate be also noble 
and yet upon this has come an evil reputation shielded under the fair name of art in the first place we are told that there is a contrivance of the law which by raising disputes and the other arts of an advocate is able to win a particular cause whether just or unjust and that both the art and the power of speech which is thereby imparted are at the service of him who is willing to pay for them now in our state this so-called art whether really an art or only an experience and practice destitute of any art ought if possible never to come into existence or if existing among us should listen to the request of the legislator and go away into another land and not speak contrary to justice if the offenders obey we say no more but if they disobey let them hear the voice of the law if any one thinks that he will pervert the power of justice in the minds of the judges and unseasonably litigate or advocate let any one who likes indict him for malpractices of law and pleading and let him be judged in the court of select judges and if he be convicted let the court determine whether he may be supposed to act from a love of money or from contentiousness and if he be supposed to act from contentiousness the court shall fix a time during which he shall not be allowed to institute or plead a cause and if he be supposed to act as he does from love of money in case he be a stranger he shall leave the country and never return under penalty of death but if he be a citizen he shall die because he is a lover of money however gained and equally if he be judged to have acted more than once from contentiousness he shall die end of book eleven recording in memory of mitchell edwards